Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Hate People, the public transport of podcasts. Usually late, comes in convoys and smells faintly of stale urine. This is episode 10, recorded Sunday, November 8, 2015. I'm your host, Simon Potter, and with me is a man who is going to tell us everything he knows. For the other 58 minutes of the podcast, we'll cross to a recording of the 1992 Perot-Bush-Clinton debate. David Holloway, how's it going, sir? <laughs> oh, Perot, there was a charismatic man. Yeah, good, thanks. Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Beyond, you, you prompted me something with your wonderful intro, beyond that I don't know much. There was something else, anyway, I'll think of it. But yeah, it's good to be here. Oh, about the train. <laughs> Talker. Yeah, it's about the public transport. So, um, you, yeah, apologies for the lateness. That's totally my fault. And um, the urine I'll take the rat for just because I'm nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> Moving on. See, thank God we do this regularly. We've just got that pitter-patter down perfectly. Uh, well, no awkward silences at all, apart from the awkward silences. <laughs> exactly. So have uh, have we heard anything from any listeners? Any uh, any thoughts? Oh look, any- I feel like Newman in Seinfeld with a pile of mail that never ends. We've just been inundated with suggestions. So thank you to Ben McJanet, who fifteen minutes before we started recording actually sent in something. Um, and for those who listen to Flashpoint, Ben is our new regular co-host on Flashpoint. So thank God for our co-hosts. Indeed. Uh, so he um, posts in a very topical uh, thing that's annoying him at the moment, and that is for the Australian listeners, you know that last week was the Melbourne Cup, which is considered one of the world's biggest uh, horse races now. I assume if you did a top five of horse races around the world, the Melbourne Cup would be somewhere in there. Um, and he was very annoyed about on social media what he called an, a keyboard activist. So those that were getting online and, and getting really irate about the treatment of horses by the horse racing industry and then, you know, once Melbourne Cup days over, go back to what they're doing and do nothing about it. Well, that I don't think it just applies to horse races. No, I was going to say, isn't that all of social media? Well, it's all of social media and it's all of uh, any any kind of citizen commentary, if you think about it. Uh, I always used to berate my father for writing to, letters to the editor and, uh, and listening to talk back radio. Both of those mediums are full of whining idiots with too much time on their hands, <laughs> no inclination to actually do anything to change things. Um, and that's what I used to say to him, don't write letters to the editor, do something about it. Uh, and it's the it's the same with with this sort of thing. People, it's the, just whatever's the flavour of the of the day, the hour, the minute. Everyone just gets on their high horse and waxes moronic, and uh, and then moves on to the next thing. But what about so? Let's just for argument's sake, though, if you've got a whole bunch of people like this year is the most I've seen on social me- social media slagging the horse racing industry. There's some interesting statistics posted, some of which I think were accurate, others I think were a bit overblown. Um, the general awareness of how the horse racing industry works, I would have think, would be the most raised it's been ever. Surely, maybe, even if only 0.1% of that translates to action, that's still an improvement on not doing it? Uh, well, look, it really depends uh, what kind of action. 
by what sort of people. Uh, it's it's like anything there there has to be there has to be follow through. Uh, just making a, a noise about it for a short period of time really doesn't achieve anything because even in the even in the wider media the public's attention uh, is pretty short lived before the next thing comes on. You know, it's either because there's something more interesting on television or a, a, a more sensationalist debate or Kim Kardashian's done something. Most people have got a fairly, if it's not immediate family concerns or financial concerns that concern them directly, everything else is just ephemera. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to like the potential of these things to raise interest from mainstream media and then if they really get on their high horse about the issue you tend to see, particularly if it's about government policy, things change. So to give you one example, there's one page I run on Facebook. I won't even bore people with the issue, but it's a a particular health-related industry issue, not a disease or anything, but just the way a part of the industry runs. Um, Based on that page, it's got a couple of thousand people like it. I've had, I think, two or three direct messages from the ABC and I think one other media outlet might have been uh, one of the main TV news networks wanting to pick up some of the information that people had posted on their testimonials of their experience and then that's gone on to lead to some fairly large stories. Yeah, but that's... Mm, yeah, I, I suppose in some... I mean, in some instances, obviously, it's going to have an effect. I mean, uh, but things have to reach a critical and sustained mass. I mean, obviously, example of that would be something like the Arab Spring and the, the part yeah. that uh, social media had to play in that. But that just wasn't a, a bunch of bored people on their mobile phones um, texting while they're waiting for the commercial break to finish. No. Now, I'm not, I'm, don't, I'm not dismissing everyone that's... Uh, taken issue with this I'm just taking issue with the people that have just reacted to it and then moved on of yes. which I suspect would be the vast majority there's nothing wrong with having a having a, a, a social conscience and being wanting to be an activist about something or to see movement on an issue but really most people's lives have got enough going on yeah. such as that uh, that sustained level of interest and interaction really doesn't occur. And that's one of the reasons why we have such a problem with politics. And most Western democracies have a problem with politics is that people don't get involved. And if they do get involved, they resent it. Basically, most of their, most people's in, uh, involvement is voting, if they vote, depending on what country you're in, and then complaining about the politicians that you may or may not have voted for. No, you're right. And I think the figure is something like 97% of people either don't follow politics actively um, and definitely aren't a member of a political party. Yeah. But, I mean, belonging to a political party doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you're involved. It's a bit like going to church. It doesn't mean that you're a particularly... or or a a mosque or a synagogue or whatever. It, It doesn't mean that you're particularly devout. It just means you're going through the motions. Although I'd argue there's not a lot, and this has been, (laughs) sadly, a member of two political parties, 
that I, I've never noticed a huge amount of apathy amongst those that actually bother to join. At the very least, they get the newsletters and contribute, and to go back to your point, write letters to party journals, which, yeah, right, that may not achieve a lot. But I never had a lot of sleeper members that were purely there um, for, for, as a name. Well, that's good to know. But whereas I, I would argue, yes, in the US, which has a much different political system, I would have thought there'd be you know tens of thousands of people that are, and I know it's different anyway, that you're a registered Democrat or Republican or whatever for the sake of elections, but that's different to membership. But I, I would have thought there'd be more sleeper members in those parties. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think that uh, good people with, with uh, good, in good conscience get involved but if that's the case, I don't understand why local politics is such a cesspit of inadequacy. Oh, yeah, you're not wrong there. Local councils oh. and the like, and I don't think it matters whether it's here um, in, in the UK or, or the States or Canada. What is it with local politicians? Why do we get such crap? I think it's because everyone sees it as a training ground. So... God, we're on a political theme tonight. I actually ran for local government uh, back in 1999 um, and I ran as a candidate and the, the voting system where I was at the time uh, required you to run in pairs. So the person I ran with, we were both a member of the same party. We ran um, and, yeah, that was a real eye-opener, just exactly what you said, what a cesspit it is, the ambitions of the people there, what they're willing to do to get elected and they, the major parties in particular see it as a training ground for greater things and that's all they see it as. Then you've got your dedicated independents that really care about the community but their level of competency to actually hold the position varies pretty widely. Yeah. Yeah, actually the, the training ground I think is probably a good analogy. It's a bit like kindergarten. Yeah. In that as you, as you say, they aren't, they aren't well schooled in the in the game at that point. So a bit like kindergarten and small children, people at that level are usually their their ambition and their agendas are usually a lot more on display. And then as they work out how to do all this, and um, either stay in council over a, a period of time or move up, they get far better at masking. All of the all of the nasty stuff, and then of course you just end up with uh, with uh, the, uh, the the double talk, non answer to questions. I I, yeah. I refuse to uh, accept that the premise of your question. I'm going to answer something else I like. Yeah, the shit that we all have to put up with. <laughs> yeah, I think like I just I think local councils are important. Uh, I think there's a lot of argument to actually eliminating state governments and having a much bigger level for local governments and making it a more professional organisation, just having federal and, and local and getting rid of state. But that's another whole podcast on its own. That actually wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, if we have to have a professional political class, it'd be nice if they could at least be competent. And when I say competent, I mean honest. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That would be nice, but I think that might be uh, that might be um, that might be just a, a couple of steps removed of reality. Oh, I know we've had this discussion. But I still tend to believe that about seventy to eighty percent of politicians, in the Australian context at least, 
at federal uh, level are honest and in there for the right reasons, and there are 10 or 20% that definitely aren't, and then I think those percentages change quite significantly once you get to state level and then local level. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's odd, really, because um, I used to, for the same company and in the same team, but uh, in different states, used to work with Joe Sinclair, who oh, yeah. is the... I think he's the uh, the shadow communication minister now, mm. and uh, yeah, he had the had the he's a good looking guy, well spoken, good speaker. So uh, I, I thought he'd probably do fairly well for himself, and he seems to. And he's still a fairly straight talker, from what I can tell. He I, the uh, it hasn't eroded him as badly as it has some. I suspect if he'd come up through. The, the union ranks they probably would have uh, screwed him up a lot more yeah. so have done a lot of the, the current leadership any good going through that system no. so yeah but interesting it's it's just amazing how badly people behave when they they group together which leads us on to our next topic nice segue thank you <laughs> that was extremely well done yeah, so this was one I put on the agenda, and that was uh, partly based on something you said. So for those that listen to Flashpoint, uh, Simon, you're talking about your experience at PAX, and um, and it reminded me of my experience at PAX, and just crowd behaviour at PAX or at crowded airports or in any group situation, just how close to the edge it is to going to shit at any given time. Um, so probably... Yeah, so how, what was your experience of PAX this time with the crowds? Were you wanting to stab people in the throat again? Well, it's one of the reasons I only go for one day. Yeah. Because uh, your own fatigue can start to uh, distort the way you view things. But in general, I've I've always found the crowds at PAX to be really good. Hmm. Uh, everyone's happy to chat. Uh, the lines don't seem to wear on people yeah. too much. And as I, as I said before, the, the lines there are getting worse each year but that's uh that's obviously more to do with it's not their crowd pax's crowd control pax's crowd control is i'd compare it to disneyland yeah they they really know how to keep people moving and how to organize large groups and get them uh, get them from point a to point b so yeah no pax is very good it's more to do with the exhibitors uh not correctly estimating the demand for things so, yeah, on the whole, I, I would say that the people at PAX, excellent behavior, um, some of their personal hygiene, not so much. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, sometimes you, you catch a whiff directly off, off someone and sometimes you just know that someone who to whom showering is a foreign concept <laughs> or at least deodorant is a foreign concept, you know they've been there. Because you just kind of walk through this this miasma, this funky miasma that they just leave behind you, going, yeah. Now, now I know what a a, a sniffer hound must have to contend with. <laughs> I could pro- I could probably follow this guy to the the snacks or wherever. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean the beer thing is unfortunate, and it's. See, I, I'm a bit lucky in inverted commas, having come from the nursing background. Unless someone's literally had explosive diarrhoea in their pants in front of me, I find most odors bearable. But 
I mean, even that wouldn't phase me, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, it's amazing the lack of self-awareness around personal hygiene still, particularly amongst, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to argue most gamers at gaming conventions are, are fairly well-educated, articulate people. Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I don't doubt that the average IQ at most of these sorts of things is uh, is a good deal higher than most events. Yeah, so and so to, to actually not be aware that you stink is a hard one. But that said, I know, I've know i known some very articulate people who have had to be taken aside and told that they have a body odour issue and they've had no concept of the idea or they've had a really good reason why and you know, I'm mortified that they've had to be picked up on it. Well, look, um, Bill Gates apparently uh, used to have this issue, didn't he? He was so busy working on, you know, coding and, and whatnot. This is when Microsoft was just starting off when he was, you know, a, a whippersnapper. Um, but yeah, he was a, a typical geek in that respect. In that he uh, was so focused on what he was doing. The eating, washing, all of that sort of thing just completely fell by the wayside. Wouldn't it be and nice to be that passionate about something, Simon? It's like us in this podcast. The amount of times we've missed food and showers and stuff just to get to the podcast. Oh, look, I almost didn't make this podcast because I wanted to get onto the next puzzle in Numa. So. <laughs> yeah, you've got your priorities right. Stupid free games. <laughs> Uh, so, I, I mean, and the other point I was going to make about crowd behaviour is just I always find in those crowds, if something does start to go wrong, it really brings home to me that if in a true disaster, so I won't use the obvious one of zombie apocalypse, I'll more talk about, let's say you've got a major flu pandemic or something like that, which is not outside the bounds of possibility, I always assume that society will go to shit really, really quickly. In a, in a, because just based on the crowd behaviour I see... I think it goes from, yeah, let's work together and, and beat this together. That goes to every man for themselves within about, I reckon, four minutes. It, it comes down... When social cohesion breaks down, it usually comes down to uh, something that... I think it's referred to as the 10-80-10 phenomena, which is 10% uh, of people will take charge and do the wrong thing 80% of people will wait for someone to follow and then the other 10% will take charge and do the right thing. Okay, I like that. So in an emergency situation, you do tend to find that, yeah, if, if there's not someone, someone who's uh, sort of stepping up and coming up with uh, a course of action, then more often than not, people will just wait for someone to tell them what they need to do or where they need to go. Yeah. Which when about it, uh, considering that we are tribal creatures by nature, that's not really too surprising. No. If everyone tried to lead, it would be absolute chaos. And most people don't. I mean, yeah, uh, that, that's one of the things about going through uh, even basic training with, with the army is it, it just sort of gives you a sense of, of structure to... You, you take orders, but if there's no one there to give orders, you you step up without giving it too much of a second thought. Yes, because you know if, if the chain of command starts to fall apart, you have, you have to work your way down to the smallest possible unit and still have the thing function. 
So it, that that definitely gives you a, a way of thinking. So in, in some ways, uh, compulsory armed service isn't necessarily a bad thing because it does help organize or, or shape the way people think and the way they respond to an emergency or an abnormal situation. Yeah. And that's actually what freaks people out. And not necessarily the emergency, but just the fact that they, they don't know what to do. Yeah. Because this, this time they've been through it, they've got nothing to fall back on. No, good point. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that um, is, is sometimes referred to as the veneer of civilization, which is basically what it is. Uh, while while we think there's consequences, that's one of the reasons why um, social media can be a particularly, uh, or the internet can be a particularly vicious place, is the lack of consequence. Mm. And it's the the same. Uh, you've only got to look at some of the blackouts that they had in New York in the was it the seventies and the eighties. Uh, the whole East Coast basically got um, blacked out because uh, something blew somewhere up in Canada, I think, and it just had a cascade failure. Um, things have just pretty much fell apart in very short order, especially when people are already feeling stressed. It just take, it just takes one thing to happen, and then. If that pretty much gives an excuse for everyone else to just go nuts and that's where you end up with, with some of these widespread uh, riots. Yeah. Because the people are already on the edge. That's enough to make uh, the, the sense of consequence collapse. Oh, the, the, the cops can't do anything. So, all right, well, no consequence. Whereas you and I would be sitting here, we'd broadcast live 24-7 on the podcast to reassure people, wouldn't we? Um, no, I, this is one of the things that always amuses me, and it, I do it myself, is if you think about this, the zombie apocalypse and you're thinking, yeah, that's where I'd come into my own, that's where I'd break. <laughs> yep. That's where I'd be like someone from dot, 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 zombie fantasy movie slash TV series. And the, the simple fact is most of us will probably be dead within about 15 minutes of losing connectivity. <laughs> You're right. See, I like to think that I'd be Daryl or Rick, but I think I'd be actually the priest in The Walking Dead. I'd be yeah. locking myself in a, and letting the rest of the population get eaten and then feeling guilty for it three years afterwards. I wouldn't be feeling guilty. <laughs> well, see, that's where we differ. So you and I need to partner. We might make a good team. I'll cut. Co- I'll cover off the guilt, and you just be ruthless. Yeah, I could see that, or I might just fall apart. Who knows? You, you never really know until you're in these situations. Yeah, that's, that's the thing: is the way you expect to act and the person you think you are. Yeah, you might not be wrong. You might not be too close to the truth there, Sherlock. You might be way off margin. That's right. And a classic example of that is in health professional training. So, you know, doing my nursing training and we covered off emergency situations and our lecturer said, look, when you're doing CPR for the first time on a real human being, you'll find that you will switch into automatic mode and do what you've been trained and it'll all go well. And It's a lie. Well, actually... And I haven't had enormous experience, so I've only been in probably a dozen CPR situations. But uh, I know for myself only, can only based on myself, that that's exactly what happened for me. I went into automatic mode, and once you've got one under your belt, it's suddenly not the scary unknown situation anymore. Your training kicks in, and you do the best job you can. What does the training actually involve, though? I mean, just going back to the Army again, that's one of the reasons why you get drilled is so that you fall back on a on a, a, a memorised pattern of behaviour. 
but for most CPR courses that first aiders get to do, you, your exposure to it is is pretty brief, and I wouldn't have thought that that would you get enough repetition to actually have it as an ingrained behaviour that you could fall back on all time. Um, yeah, it, it is a little bit different to first aid, and it's changed since I was trained, but you do enough of it in lab nursing lab situations and simulation scenarios that it is second nature enough, particularly combined with the practical experience you get as a student. So chances are you go out on a, a surgical ward for two or three weeks, you'll either see or, um, if you're lucky, get to participate in a resuscitation scenario. So you, you actually get the real-life experience or at the very least some good simulation experience. And as you know, CPR itself is relatively simple combined with some of the, you know, compared to some of the other procedures and that you're taught as a nurse. So when it actually happens, the actual procedural side of it doesn't phase you. Yeah. In that, well, in that situation, I can see you getting enough repetition that it would become second nature if, if you just had to respond. Uh, but I think for, for most people that just gone through a first aid course... Yeah, different a, story, yeah. It's a, a lot more of a, a struggle. I mean, some people would remember it's, uh, you know, uh, sort of... Two, two, two fingers up from the bottom of the rib cage, and to nest your fingers and push down with the heel of your hand, and and the actually I can't remember what the count is because I keep changing the bloody they numbers. Do. Yeah, but yeah. Well, it's still better, better than no attempt at all. Probably. Exactly. Well, and this is going back a lot of years now, but I remember being told that. Um, even if you do perfect CPR, at best you're replicating 40% of normal cardiac output. So you're really pushing it uphill, and we were very much trained that way. You're pushing it uphill from the outset. You, you need to assume the person has died and anything else is a bonus. It wasn't obviously put across that way, but that was essentially the, the message put across. Uh, well, sometimes hope. Oh, it does. Look, it's been known to work. There are hope. many success stories. Yes. Particularly people who do anyway, I'll get too clinical there. But people who've got arrhythmias and stuff, just by doing it, you can you can have some real impact. So yeah, always give it a go. Yeah, and even forty percent is better than nothing. Oh, absolutely, and that's why now essentially the recommendation is not to do any mouth to mouth. I think, and I haven't done my first day for a while, but I think you may do one initial breath, and then there's no uh, breath in that there's enough oxygen in the bloodstream that as long as you're pumping it around, you're probably okay until the ambulance arrives. Oh, really? That, yeah, and please, uh, this is an obvious disclaimer for this podcast. No, this should be taken as direct advice on how to do CPR. But um, I believe that the the amount of breathing involved in CPR is basically reduced to near zero. Ah. And if anyone is interested in learning more about CPR, please consult your local medical professional, not podcasts and not YouTube videos, if you can help it. No. Hands-on experience is always better in these situations. Yeah. Since we're already on the topic of death and near death, do you want to talk about Halloween? Oh, you master of segues. Uh, Yeah, so Halloween last episode we talked about, I I, I think we took, pretty sure, we we actually took opposing views, didn't we? You were saying you were pro-Halloween and I was anti? Um, I'm not anti-Halloween. No, but I said I was, and then I thought you were more pro-Halloween. I I don't really have a problem with it because... I don't see it being that. It's a, a forgotten part of of uh, Anglo-Celtic yes. in the in the in our part of the world, yes. and it's just something that continued with uh, in America yeah. and 
didn't elsewhere. So, yeah, it's not as alien to as far as I'm concerned, but I understand that you don't feel the same way. I know. So I was anti-Halloween the last few years. I, I just think it is... I, I, I'm educated enough to realise it's not just an American tradition, so I, I, that wasn't the point of the objection. It was more that <clears throat> there's not a huge history locally of it, and I just saw it as another commercial opportunity for people to gouge money. And, and from what I understand, it is now the second in Australia, the second largest commercial um, holiday period after Christmas. Which That's... That surprises me. Yeah, same. I, and I, I, I honestly can't remember where I read it, So, it may, but I, it was a relatively reputable either newspaper or, or journal article. But it surprised the hell out of me. I would have thought Easter would have outstripped it easily. I suppose when you factor in things like uh, parties and uh, the quantity of candy that's yeah. bought, uh, even more so than chocolate eggs, uh, costumes. Yeah, true. There's there's probably quite a few little uh, stupid plastic pumpkins to put said candy in. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, second biggest. It's impressive that it's picked up and that much. And that's where I, I've probably jumped the fence a little bit in that I do like seeing. So some people say, look, it's um, it's an American thing. It's all the candy. It's just really crap thing. Other people say, look, it's actually one of the few times in the year where you've got kids in particular. <laughs> walking around an area, I, I just was trying to avoid the Americanism of neighbourhood, but walking around, you know, a particular suburb and actually engaging with other residents. So there's a bit of a community thing. And I, I tend towards that viewpoint as well. And I, I saw in my area some really nice examples of that and people getting right into the spirit. So I'd probably jump the fence a bit to A, supporting it, but B, even if I didn't, it's a lost cause. It, it's just grown and grown and grown and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and to be honest, there's a lot of uh, lot of things. I mean, Father's Day, yeah, well, oh. I think that came from Mother's Day. Where did that come from? Well, we all know that. Valentine's Day. Mm. These are People complain about them being Hallmark holidays, which is true, but it doesn't stop a lot of people celebrating them. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, even if it, even if it is a commercial holiday, basically we all have a choice as to whether we participate or not. So if I prefer people to have the choice, quite honestly. I prefer, I prefer, them, I prefer them to have the freedom. If it's something they, they want to do and they feel that they get some value out of it, then, then why not? As you say, it can be a, a community building it, or at the least it's an excuse to have a holiday and, and wear something stupid. That's right. And I mean, even so, if you're not into it, you do what I do and you go out to a local restaurant to avoid all the trick-or-treaters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can, you, it's a good reason to abscond out of town. That's right. And why not? And, and for people, that, anyone that dares utter something like it's un-Australian, <laughs> uh, really, uh, I'd, I'd love to meet you so I could just slap you around the face a little bit because uh, uh, you, you really need to look at look at our history both uh, from where the the uh, the colonialists came from and their traditions historically speaking and also just how all the other foreign influences that have that have come in and colored our culture in the same way that it a lot of this stuff has affected western culture i mean rock and roll okay that that was un-australian and the devil's music 
and the devil's music. Um, pretty sure that's been accepted and embraced by most people. There's, there's, there are a lot of cultural movements that have come in, and granted uh, Halloween's a, a frivolous one, but in that case you should be even less concerned about it because it's so frivolous. Yeah. It's a money-making exercise, sure. I mean, I, I get annoyed when Christmas decorations appear <sighs> in, in October. As soon as well, Halloween's done. Yeah, basically as soon as – well, actually, I think that's one of the blessings of Halloween. I think it's actually pushed the Christmas decorations back. Mm. Um, Easter stuff appearing just after Christmas. I mean, I mean okay, this, I, it's annoying. It is very annoying. But it is what it is. It is what it is. I couldn't agree more. What can you do? What can you do? Uh, if, if you don't want to participate, don't buy it. Don't watch the uh, the uh, uh, Treehouse of Horrors on The Simpsons, which I'm sure yeah. most people have done since season eight anyway. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of things to be outraged about, possibly abuse of horses. Uh, pick that one. If you want to get annoyed about something, pick abuse of horses. And you can also make it a practical experience, a bit of an aside, but... Uh, I had a friend um, send a link to me today about a guy, I think he's, it's in Florida, who um, retired from his job and uh, developed this really creepy-looking clown suit. His name's Mr Wrinkles. And, he, and for cash, he'll happily turn up to any event or just to be contracted by parents to scare the living crap out of kids that have gone off the rails a bit. So Google Mr. Wrinkles. There's a whole bunch of the Washington Post. It was the story I read about him, and, and he makes a, he makes good money basically, and he looks creepy as all hell, but a little bit like Pennywise, um, and scares the crap out of kids. Now that's a good use of Halloween-like stuff. Doesn't that even come under child abuse? Oh, not if the parent. Well, sorry, I suppose a parent consents doesn't mean it's not abuse, but I think he does it with some subtlety. <laughs> Like, you know, it lurks in a window He's or a doorway. As a clown. How <laughs> subtle could he be? Yeah, you should have a look. It's quite amusing. Mr. Wrinkles. I thought, you know, we should set up an Australian franchise. I reckon there could be good money in that. Uh, 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 Sorry, no. yeah, that was just a Halloween aside anyway. I, I hate clowns anyway. But but speaking of Mr. Wrinkles, I, I believe there's a TV series that you've been following recently. Oh, yeah, the opposite of Wrinkly. Um, uh, some of our listeners may well and truly have... The incident you were telling me about, I would have said uh, Wrinkles is probably the operative word. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, for that, yeah, the, the Inbetweeners is a British uh, show, and for those that like British humour, this is up there as one of the best ones, although it's not subtle British humour by any stretch of the imagination. So in between is, I think, the third and final series. There are only six episodes per series, so there's only 18 shows all up. Um, finished in 2010 or 11. Um, four teenage boys in uh, year 12, and uh, you may have already known this, Simon, I didn't realise it was a year 13 in Britain. I wouldn't know. I didn't go through the uh, British education. No, no, I know you do. I just thought you might have been aware of it. So, because they keep talking about there are kids that come back for year 13. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Um, And it's four boys, and the the whole show revolves around their experiences at the school. And it's, uh, it just so took me back to, I I was far from being a boy boy. 
but I still, you know, hung out with a lot of guys and one of which has been on this podcast. And, we, you know, we had a lot of fun. And just that teenage boy approach to life and humour is replicated beautifully. Um, only warning I'd say is that it, it is quite chauvinist in bits and it totally revolves around the four boys trying to have sex. So pretty much three quarters of the jokes revolve around that. There is a lot of repetition of that, but the way it's done, I don't know, amused the hell out of me. So that was my TV recommendation for the episode. And it's on Netflix, which is why I, I've watched a couple of shows over the years, and but I've, I've binge-watched it from start to nearly finish at the moment and love it. Simon, got any recommendations yourself? Um, oddly enough, it, it's another show that's on Netflix called Continuum, which is a Canadian show. Oh, okay. And uh, refreshingly enough, it's uh, a show shot in Vancouver where they where it's a show that's shot in Vancouver. They're not pretending it's anywhere else. It's, it's in Vancouver and it's about Vancouver. I, I, I thought, considering how Vancouver is a, a city that basically plays, plays any city, every city, and no yeah. city. It's a, a little bit like um, saw San Andreas recently, that movie with oh, yeah. uh, The Rock in it. And I had I didn't realise uh, how many Australians were in it, and the fact that it was uh, shot in the uh, in the Fox Studios in the Gold Coast. Oh, really? So yeah, I wouldn't have I would not have known had uh, had I not actually read Wikipedia. But anyway, uh, back to Continuum. Yeah, Continuum is one of these shows that I initially yeah you know, ran out of things on my on my uh, watch list on Netflix. Just started drifting through it. Watched the first episode and found it quite interesting. Thought it might end up being a procedural with a gimmick. So, you know, uh, shows like Bones, for instance. Oh, yeah. I think is in its 300th season now. <laughs> it's been going a very long time. And uh, that's basically, it's a, it's a cop show with, and the gimmick is that they've got the, you know, instead of someone who uh, can spot if you're lying or um, is uh, is a an ex uh, ex trickster, or you know, it's not like the Mentalist or or Bones, where they've they've got it's cops with a, someone who has got a gimmick. Um, it turned out to be a show that actually has got a season to season arc, and a bit like uh, shows like Fringe, it, um, it it appears to have a a show arc as well. They've, they've got an endpoint. And, uh, yeah, it's the first three seasons are available on Netflix uh, in Australia and New Zealand. And the fourth season has just started broadcasting in the States. So uh, that's probably not going to be – the fourth season probably won't be available on Netflix anywhere until that finishes. But uh, well worth a look. Mm. It's, uh, the effects are pretty decent. Uh, it's well acted. I think it's pretty well written. And, uh, yeah, you might have a bit of fun. If nothing else, it's a, a good thing to stick on the TV while you're building another cathedral in Minecraft. <laughs> and uh, next flashpoint, we should talk about the Minecraft story games. I'd like to talk about that, actually. Uh, story mode. Yeah, story mode. Um, but while we're talking TV and, and stuff, obviously uh, in the last two or three days was the release of the international trailer for Star Wars. 
I, I was going to bring that up if you didn't. Yeah, so uh, again, I, well, if, about half of it, would it be right? About half of that trailer's got new footage in it. Oh, yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit. Um, and again, there's nothing there that looks like it's going to be disappointing. Mm, no, but then I still remember the, uh, the trailer to uh, episode one. And yeah, that true. exciting as well. So, yeah, uh, they, they fooled me once. Actually, they fooled me several times. So <laughs> uh, I, I'll, I'll wait and see and, and see if uh, Luke's a dark Jedi or not. Yes, that's right. And uh, it was very nice. I mean, they couldn't have done anything else, but the poor guy, terminally ill, that wasn't going to live to see the premiere did get to see a, an unedited version the other day, so that was, like I said, it was nice that they did it, but I couldn't see how they couldn't really. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they could have in, in some odd sort of way. It's a, a more passive version of the movie Fanboys. Yes, it, I haven't seen that. Didn't didn't run into um, a rampaging gang of Shatnerians, so that was that's probably a, a better a better way to go. Yeah. So you know, good, yeah, good to see. But I'm um, counting the days, um, and I'm not going to talk about games. But in the next week, I've decided I'm playing Fallout Four starting Tuesday. Oh, really? Are you? I've never played the Fallout game, so I'm a total newbie. But the trailers convinced me, and I just think I want to give it a go. Mm. You collecting your bottle caps? See, I don't, I don't even know the game well enough. To, does that have a significance? Oh. Uh, well, well, we'll find out soon enough, won't right. we? Cool. Did, did you get the Pip-Boy edition? I haven't I haven't actually bought any. I'm just going to go in on Tuesday, release day, and just buy whatever's on the shelf, the basic version. Oh, well, we're, while we're dipping just quickly into games, uh, if anyone is thinking about playing Fallout, do make sure that you uh, install the Pip-Boy companion app on your phone uh, so you're ready to go. Oh, okay start playing the game. If nothing else, you probably just want to leave it on the map because that could be kind of handy. Cool. I'll do that. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, have we got anything else that we want to uh, talk about? Oh, not really. I think we've distributed enough hate. Um, I, I already apologise for the delay. Um, no, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we're all... All talked out. And I'm just worried we're going to have a zombie apocalypse or flu pandemic now. I won't sleep tonight. Can we have a zombie flu pandemic? Yeah, that'd what? be fun. What would that be like? Um, I know, actually, Walking Dead, the other thing on TV is that it's um, series... What is it? Series 6? 5? I forgot. Anyway, whatever the current series is, is um, as strong as ever. Still a very, very enjoyable show. And are you still enjoying Fear the Walking Dead? So it only had, um, I think it was six episodes. So they, they, they threw out an initial six, and I believe it's returning after this series of The Walking Dead oh, okay. is complete. So they don't run them um, with each other. Uh, but, yeah, loved all six episodes. And I, 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 I made the call that it was better than the original Walking Dead, uh, and I think it's up there. It's probably too big a call to say that, but... Yeah, the, the current Walking Dead series 5 or 6, whatever it is, is um, very, very good. Excellent. And uh, anyone that uh, does enjoy The Walking Dead, uh, give The Strain a look as well. You might enjoy that. Now, is that the one... Uh, I think I watched, based on your recommendation, two or three of those episodes. That was the one... 
Is it in Antarctica or somewhere they are? Uh, or in a big underground complex? Uh, first bit take place in like a cargo storage area in an airport, really? Oh, no, I'm, I'm thinking t- uh, TV series. Is this a movie? No, no, it's a TV series. Yeah, I think it's the same one we're talking about then. I don't remember Antarctica being involved. No, I, I, I could be getting that mixed up. But I just remember there was some, they were isolated. Wherever they were was this big complex where they were totally isolated. Oh, no, 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 that's... Um, it's another one, not The Strain, sorry. Uh, no, The the Strain, take, uh, that's the Guillermo del Toro um, book-based show, The Strain. Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, the show you're thinking of, and for some reason I can't remember. Yeah, because this... you recommended it, and I watched two or three and then lost uh, lost interest. Yeah, well, you and a lot of other people, I suspect. Yeah. And anyway, talking about losing interest, <laughs> uh, I, I think it sounds like a show to me. So uh, let's take a quick vote. Uh, eyes for, for, for shutting this, this puppy down? Aye. Aye. All right. I didn't hear you, audience, but uh, since I don't think there's anyone listening, uh, <laughs> I'm just going to take that as an I as well. So if you do end up listening, thank you very much. We do appreciate it. And uh, thank you for remembering that we're here because considering the irregularity of the cadence and the order in which we produce these things, uh, we're worse than Channel 9 and Channel 7 when the cricket's on, basically. Mm. Ten episodes uh, is an impressive feat, though. Eh, really? Oh, I mean, I know compared to Flashpoint it's not, but it's still to do a second podcast and get to ten episodes without realising the ridiculousness of it all and giving up. I think that's yeah. a milestone. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of futility, you can follow us on Twitter. David's handle is at Creative Shed. I'm at RPGBeatsRL. For earlier episodes, visit www.creativeshed.com or subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks again to my co-host, David Holloway. Thank you. And uh, once again, I'm Simon Potter. This has been episode 10 of We Hate People. Thanks again for listening. And please join us next time, whenever the hell that is. Here's to the next nine. The next nine, yes, exactly. (laughs) Good night. Good night.